0: right after we do our intro okay blog talk radio <laughs>
1: 10 p.m. and Pure Gold is live and on the air for this Tuesday night, May 3rd, 2011. you all had a good and uplifting weekend. Welcome to the show that covers sports, life, and everything in between. My name is Joe, just Mrs. Puccino, and as always, seated is his Geronimo, Operations Geronimo Chair, my tag team partner and co-host. David Gomez, aka DG, aka Let's Get This Show on the Road, sir. Sir, how are you tonight?
0: I'm doing wonderful, having some technical difficulties on my end, but aside from that, doing fabulous. Nice uh, intro, by the way, uh, when you said you had something special I wasn't sure what to expect, and I definitely did not expect that. I was thinking maybe a real American or something to uh, to that effect.
1: Well, if we had probably a wrestler on tonight, I might have have went that route, but I decided to go the very patriotic way.
0: That's a good idea, sir. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Uh, Definitely have a lot to get into. So before we get into all the good stuff, sir, let's give out the contact information and the poll question of the week.
0: Folks, if you'd like to be part of the show and speak with us or our guests, the telephone number seven one four three six four four seven two one. 714-364-4721. Our website, of course, is puregoldpg.com, Or you can follow us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube channel. And, of course, you can email us all. Folks, we are excited. Uh, our poll question of this week is actually, which brand got the better of the draft? Raw, SmackDown, about even, and who cares? The draft sucked. But we're not going to talk about wrestling right now. We'll save that to the end. We have a very special guest with us this evening. Folks, this is uh, adding to our uh, many uh, a list of, of uh, I guess, people that we like on WFAN. There's, there's no other way to put it. We're big fans of Evan Roberts, who's been on the show. Big fans of The Moose, who has also been on the show. And this evening, folks, for the first time, we have joining us Laurie Rubinson from WFAN. Lori, how are you doing this evening?
2: I'm good, guys. Happy to be on with
0: you guys. That's good. It's good to have you. Uh, you know, it's definitely definitely a pleasure to have you. Um, I have a, a question, Lori. We're going to get into some NBA and then, uh, you know, switch gears a little bit later on. But our first question of the evening, oh, and this is uh, David, by the way, DG. Um, the by the way, do you
1: guys have the Met game on as we speak? Uh, no, actually, I don't. JB, do you? I have it on my phone. I'm watching it on my phone. I don't have a phone down in my studio.
2: All right. I'll just, so I'll keep you guys posted because I know you're Mets guys. Is, we got a tie ball game here. But all right. You guys go. We'll talk NBA, and uh, I'll keep you posted if anything terribly exciting happens at the end of this Mets game.
0: Great. Well, being that it's the Mets, I'm not sure how terribly exciting that may be. But, of course, we can get into that later. Um, yeah, it's funny. Before the show started, I was watching uh, The Voice for the first time ever with my wife. And she was getting all into it. And then I was like, wait a minute, it's time to do the show. So, no, the Mets, the Mets you know, we'll, we'll get into that. But, Lori, let's start with some basketball. My first question sure. for you is uh, now that the number one seed in the West, the San Antonio Spurs, are out, do you think it's a lock that the Lakers are going to make it back to the finals for a third straight year?
2: No, I absolutely don't think it's a lock. I think the West <laughs> is really wide open. And. I mean, certainly, if you put a, if you made, if you made me put a thousand bucks down on it right now, I probably still would say I'd pick the Lakers coming out of the West if I had to. But uh, I, I think the West is wide open and frankly a lot of fun. There's a game going on right now which is, you know, Memphis, Oklahoma City, and I don't know if you guys are Knicks fans. I am, and one of the things I am, yeah. that. I, that I think is a lot of fun is to take a look, you know, right now, if you're a Knicks fan, the East is about as putrid as it gets in terms of rooting interest. <laughs> I mean, you just yeah. sit there looking at, you know, who do you root for? And it's the lesser of all evils and there's really nobody. And so in terms of the fun factor, it really is. I think it's the Memphis Grizzlies and Oklahoma city thunder are, are two fun young teams that you can get excited about when you don't have a horse in the race. But, uh, i would say the west is really wide open and you know certainly i think that dallas mavericks winning a game one on the lakers court has got to make them a little bit uh you know make the lakers nervous because this is isn't like you know losing a game one to new orleans this is the mavericks and this is a new mavericks team that actually with tyson chandler plays defense so uh yeah i think i actually think the west is wide open
0: it's funny uh it's funny you made, you made the, uh, the $1,000 bet because I think Joe said he's willing to uh, take you up on that offer to see if you put down $1,000 uh, against the uh, the Lakers. But, you know, on this show, I am a Knicks fan, and Joe, you know, being a, a longtime friend of mine and one of my other very close personal friends, is also a, a, a Celtics fan. So the two of them are, are, are Boston fans. So personally, being a much bigger baseball fan than a basketball fan, um, I don't have a thing against the Celtics. I don't like the Lakers. I don't like Kobe Bryant. not a fan of his. But... I know I'd be. I guess I'd be out of the uh, the loop when it comes to the Knicks, but um, you know, a typical Knicks fan like you, I would kind of root for the Celtics only because of my partner and, and my buddy. But other than that, I mean, you definitely have some good points as far as uh, you know who you would root for. The Heat can't stand them either. Not a fan of LeBron James. Not a fan. Oh, well, Dwayne Wade, I like, but you know, LeBron definitely not with the that debacle that he got into in the offseason. season. But uh, I know that Joe is going to get into the Celtics. So I'll let him. Uh, I'll let him take that away.
1: Hey Lori, how are you? Hey
2: Joe.
0: <laughs>
1: well, you know.
2: See you're a Celtics guy. My my producer on Sunday nights on the fan. You know, I do the overnight on Saturday into Sunday, then Sunday nights. And Sunday nights, my regular producer Casey Keefe is uh, is a huge Celtics guy. So uh, <laughs> so I have to deal with Celtics stuff all the time, but uh, gotcha. it doesn't make it any better, any more palatable.
1: You know, it, it's funny, Lori. I mean, this. I mean, yeah, the the Celtics. Uh, lost again tonight, and now they're down 2-0. But I, I still feel like, as a Celtics fan, the last, uh, especially the last couple of years, I think this is a resilient team. I think that you know the loss of Perkins in the short term hurt the team, but I think they recovered pretty nicely against the Knicks. You know, not saying much. I don't think the. Uh, I think actually people thought the the series would go a lot longer than you know just a sweep. So just uh, as a fan, and, as a person, go ahead.
2: I don't know. I mean, once once. I think the Knicks, if, if they hadn't had the injuries they had, could have given you know the Celtics a battle. I think they still would have lost, but could have given the Celtics a 6-7 game battle. Once the Knicks had two of their three best players get injured, that series was over. So I don't think yeah. the Knicks in their current composition are any true tests for the Celtics and, and don't give you any idea of whether the Celtics have really bounced back from the trade of, of Kendrick Perkins or not. I, I think that's what we'll see in this Heat series. And if they lose, if the Celtics lose to the Heat and lose, let's say, in you know five games, if this isn't even an epic seven-game series, then if you were, let me ask you as a Celtics fan, because I've been posing this to Celtic fan friends of mine is, and to media guys in, in basketball who cover it, is what I don't understand about Danny Ainge is, This is a Celtics team that was a win-now team. Given the age of their players, it's a win-now team. How do you make a trade for the future, which is Jeff Green for Kendrick Perkins, how do you make a trade for the future on a win-now team?
1: You're right, Lori. I mean, they were obviously banking on a healthy Shaquille O'Neal in the playoffs, and he hasn't come through. He hasn't played one game in the playoffs. So I don't think – I think it looks really bad, the fact that Perkins got traded and now Shaq is not playing at all in the playoffs. So – that said, do you think that the they still have a shot in this series and do they have a shot to get back to the finals?
2: Um I still think that you know Pat Riley was always the one who said a series doesn't really start until somebody wins a game on the other guy's uh home court. And right. so technically the series hasn't even really started yet is you know I, on the one hand, again, if if I was going to put the $1,000 bet down right now and you were making me, I'm taking the heat. Um, so certainly in this series, with the, I'm not an idiot with a two-game lead. But I think that you know, Celtics are going to come home, and I, I really actually think this series hasn't really begun yet. And the thing for the Celtics that I think is, is the biggest thing I want to see in this series, and if you're a Celtics fan, the biggest disappointment has to be is that the first two games, the Celtics have allowed the Heat, or maybe the Heat have done it themselves, but allowed these games to be about a double-digit lead with two minutes left in the game, with one minute left in the game, with under a minute left in the game. And for that, the big question for the Heat that I still have is, what does the Miami Heat do when it's a two- or three-point game and there's 30 seconds left in the ball game? I don't think the Heat is actually a mentally tough team yet. I think they... I don't think they've convinced themselves yet. So what the Celtics need to do is not only hold it, you know, win the next couple of games on their home floor, but get some of those games tight so that the you can allow the Heat to kind of choke and beat themselves in that situation.
1: I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, Lori. I mean, if, they, if the Celtics, you know, were within three or four points, I think that, you know, the, the Heat have shown this year that they crumble. I mean, they can't close right. out games when it's that close.
2: I think so, they – They've been choking all season. So if you're Boston and you're the more battle-tested team, you know, it doesn't matter if Paul Pierce has struggled all game long. If we're talking about a tie ball game or within two points, uh, you tell me if I'm giving you a choice of anyone on the heat or maybe the ball's in Paul Pierce's hands with the game on the line, I'll still take
0: Pierce.
1: I agree with you, Lauren. So – Now, just in general, uh, last NBA playoff question. What was your prediction for the NBA Finals before the playoffs started, and who do you think is going to win it all this year? Before the
2: playoffs started, coming out of the East, well, before the Kendrick Perkins trade, I really liked the Celtics, you know, and thought that it would be the Celtics. Once the Perkins trade happened, I I really, all of a sudden it made the, it made the East, to me, really kind of wide open. And I guess, like a lot of people, I was thinking probably the Chicago Bulls, just based on the way they had closed down the season and the way they played defense and their talent. So I was leaning towards the Bulls. Uh, I'm a little concerned now with, he says it's fine, but with Derek Rose's ankle. And is right. he really fine? Is he really 100%? Because he's, you know, they they can't afford a Derrick Rose who's not at 100% uh, the Chicago Bulls. He's so important to that team. So, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I would say, it's, you know, coming into before the playoffs, I thought Chicago out of the east and out of the west, I was still probably thinking Lakers only, you know, I'm one of those people who generally thinks that, you know, a championship sort of goes to the champions, and until somebody proves in the playoffs they can knock off Kobe and the Lakers. Then right. that's kind of where my money's at. So coming in, that was probably what I thought. I would say, all right. By the way, I'm just telling you on the Met game. Bases oh, loaded. Thank God. Yeah, K Rod had bases loaded in the ninth, bottom of the ninth, and it's uh, I'm sorry, top of the ninth there because they're at City Field, top of the ninth, and K Rod comes in and of course manages to load up the bases in a tie tie six game, and I did just get a. A pop out to short uh, to short center to Jason Pridey. So, we'll go to the bottom of the ninth, six six, and we'll see if the Mets can win it in the bottom of the ninth. Can
1: we can we get Mike Piazza to pinch it and hit a home run?
2: There you go. Well, (laughs) especially because of that whole like your opening with the Bin Laden. You know, I mean, I think I assume that's the proud to be an American is that that homage to that is I was. Yeah, with the Mets and the whole, you know, first team playing after 9-11 back in, uh, you know, 10 years ago. and um, So, yeah, it would be nice get Mike Piazza to come in and, in honor of that and hit the home run. That would be great.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, Laurie, since we're in, <laughs> i I was, I was all prepared to say switching gears, but since we already segued into baseball, um, you know, we'll get into the 9-11 thing in a second because, you know, I'd like to ask you about that. Just a quick question, but – Talking about the Mets, you know, I'm watching the game here since you talked about. I turned it on and I'm looking at, at number 20, Purdy, like you said. I'm like, who the heck is this guy? You know, unfortunately, you know, I haven't been able to watch as much of the Mets as I would like to. But then again, with the way that they've been playing on and off, it's kind of, it's kind of a love-hate relationship I've got going with them. If you were the GM of this team, this you know team that unfortunately just knows how to let us down time after time, and I'm fully expecting, by the way, that they're going to lose as we're in the middle of the interview, but. If you were the GM of the team, what would you do to build them into a contender considering all the financial constraints that they have now? I mean, none of us really know the, the ramifications of the whole Madoff thing. We really don't. You know, let's be honest. We can hear things and, you know, we're not in the, in the Wilpons office or whatever. But considering the fact that you spent no money in the offseason, how would you build this team into a contender, all things considered?
2: Uh, I, I think – that I would probably be doing a lot of what the Sandy Alderson, J.P. Ricciardi, uh, Paul Di Podesta, you know, that whole group, what they are trying to do, which is you have to – I think the Mets had fallen into such a sorry state structurally. You have to go down to even, you know, from the draft to the lowest levels of the minors, everything from the way you scout players, draft players, and then develop your talent and bring it up to the big leagues, all of that in this organization, I think, had gone lacking. And if there's one thing I would change, and I hope that we'll see a change this year, is one thing I think that's killed the Mets over the last decade is, while the payroll at the major league level has actually been pretty generous, and the Mets yeah. always, always have had one of the better payrolls. The problem is that they, spend it, they don't spend it smartly, but they spend a lot of money. But the issue that I had from a spending standpoint is how they handled the draft. And yeah. as you guys, I'm sure, aware, there's something called slotting fees you know, for bonuses that the yeah. commissioner's office wants to keep bonuses in line for these, for these uh, draftees. And so they set up levels that you're supposed to be willing to pay a guy. And it's a recommendation, and if you're going to be a good baseball citizen, gee whiz, then you'll comply with that recommendation. And it's meant to keep a level playing field for what teams can afford, big markets the small markets. Well, teams in the big markets like the Yankees and the Red Sox, they ignore this. It's an advisement, but there's no penalty for going against it. And so what they do is they take – players that maybe have a Scott Boris agent and other teams think this guy's really talented but I don't know if we can sign him. And you know or a guy who says he's probably going to go to college but maybe he's on the fence and they'll draft those players in later rounds that they the other smaller market teams bypass them and then they'll give them big hefty bonuses and convince them to come sign with them. And the Mets have stayed away from doing that. They don't behave in the draft like a big market team and consequently when you look at their minor league system, they just have a lot less talent in it, high prospect to talent in it, than a lot of teams who have been in a drafting below them, finishing better than them, drafting below them, and yet doing better at developing talent. So the first thing I'd do would start paying over slot, behave like a big market team in the draft. And then the second thing would be just the whole way that, You know, the player development system is handled and the whole system. I'd start building from the ground up. Uh, That's the first thing I would do with this Mets team so that over time, you know, you can develop young pitching and a lot of arms from your own system and things like that. And, you know, that's what I'd like to see the Mets start to implement. And I think that's what Sandy Alderson and his crew are starting to do. Unfortunately for Mets fans, it probably takes the kind of strategy that it's Three years until you really put that into place.
1: So, so Lori, modern day Mike Piazza, aka David Wright, let off with a double.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got runners on first. We got runners on first and second here. All right for the Mets. You got runners first and up. second. No outs. And Ike Davis at the plate. And if you're a Mets fan, he's the RBI machine, certainly on this team right now. So.
0: And he just bunted.
2: What? Are you kidding me? Oh, you got to be kidding me? Are you guys watching this? <laughs>
0: I'm watching it. He just bunted, oh and my it was horrible. God,
2: did they have the bunt on? Are they insane with Ike? He <laughs> had <crazy>. the bunted. He <laughs> was a little league. Oh, I love the fact it. that
0: I love the fact that here you are talking about Ike is the RBI machine, and here he is bunting on the first page Gotta love that, gotta love out there. Well,
2: okay. But, uh... In fairness, now they're having a conversation here. Okay, in fairness to the Mets, because they just called him over. I bet he was doing that on his own. I bet oh, I did. Okay. You know, God bless him as a team player. He must have decided that that's what he wanted to do and tried doing it on his own because Chip Hale, the third base coach, just called him over for a meeting and just whispered something in his ear, and I would bet that that something is, are you insane? You're our best RBI <laughs> man. You have to swing.
0: Yeah, e- there we go. Oh, he's a show. error, error. Yes, second and third. Oh, continue. All right,
2: all right, all right. Giving you a live update here. Um, By the way, for those people who are listening and you're not watching it, us screaming, yelling probably doesn't help you. What happened there was Ike hits a ground ball to second base, and it gets bobbled. The Mets are very lucky because it easily could have been a double play. But Burris at second for the Giants bobbles the ball, and so it's only one out uh, put out at first, and Mets now have second and third and only one out.
0: Very nice, very nice. So Ike basically got accomplished what he he set out to. But I, I honestly thought he was gonna. Either Bonner hit into double play there. Did they just flash a couple uh, seconds ago that the Twins threw a no-hitter today? Uh, am, am I that out of the loop?
2: I'll be honest with you. I've been watching the Mets, and then I also was watching uh, your Celtics in game one, flipping between the two. So I've been Thank focused you. on that. Let's see. I,
0: yeah, I thought there. I just saw that, but, you know we'll we'll have, uh, we'll have a series.
2: Making no Yeah, no yeah, sense. Liriano. Let's see. It says Liriano. Francis never had a sudden – oh, Francisco Liriano never had a shutout, never had a complete game in the majors, and he just threw a no-hitter. Yep. That's you got to cool. love
0: it. <laughs> Speaking of, you yeah, know, we were although, talking about young talent. Sorry, Laura. The prices you were saying? went
2: up for Yankee fans, because Yankee fans, that was one of the guys I think that Yankee fans may be hoping that they could pull off a trade in the middle of this season and get another starting pitcher, and he was one of the guys who had been rumored in the offseason as a potential target for the Yankees, and it – the price tag always goes up if a guy throws a no-hitter.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. And you got to hope the Yankees do not get him from the Twins because I'm sick and tired of watching the Yankees beat the Twins in the playoffs. But that's another story for another time. Um, you know, you were talking about uh, about 20 minutes ago when you we were talking about this before this whole little uh, interaction with the game. You were talking about the Mets minor league system, and I saw that uh, our boy Henry Mejia looks like he may need Tommy John surgery. Are the Mets ever going to develop any young pitching? Because, uh, all right, they have Ike Davis, who's a great hitter. He's a great first baseman. I honestly think he's going to be the first baseman for this team for a very long time, and he's extremely exciting to watch. If you listen to my partner, though, he wants to get rid of everybody and start from scratch, but, you know, let's ignore that. Do you think the Mets are ever going to get any of these guys, you know, off the off the schneid, get injured left and right? It just seems like that's the way of the world when it comes to the Mets.
2: Well, I, I do actually think that Mahia being Injured, and it certainly sounds like Tommy John surgery. He's going to get a second opinion with uh, Dr. James Andrews, the guru of you know orthopedics uh, down yeah. there in Birmingham. But he, you know, went to the hospital for special surgery. Met team doctor uh, Dr. David Alcheck. That's a big name when it comes to orthopedics. And oh, you got to be kidding. Mess it into a double play, and and, you you got to run around third base. Double play, and we're going to extras. All right, two games in a row, extras for the Mets. Anyway, but Mejia, I do think it's a concern that he's now very likely going to need Tommy John surgery. Not in terms of his career, because it's become he's what 21 years old, and it's become very uh, routine surgery now. Tommy John surgery that pitchers young pitchers generally come back from, if anything, even stronger. So for his career, I'm, I'm sure he'll be fine. The concern is that the, this is this is now, I think, a, so much of a pattern of injury with the Mets that I don't yeah. think it's necessarily an issue with team doctors because the doctor only treats somebody when he's got a problem and shows up. I think in terms of the training staff organizationally and whether it's I don't know. Do they not have a sense of mechanics of you know proper pitching mechanics and how to work with guys and fundamentally and and guys just end up then getting more injured? I'm not sure, but it is something that's another thing I think for Sandy Alderson and his team to really examine is that it just feels like it's been too fluky how you know the injuries and how the team has dealt with the injuries from a training standpoint over the last few years it feels like it's subpar compared to the results of some other teams. So I do think that's something that the Mets could certainly look into and and is a major concern now. I think one move that you'll see the Mets do is with Henry Mejia being injured now, they have no depth at all in the high major leagues in starting pitching. And so Dylan yeah. G, who actually pitched in tonight's game as a reliever, and they were keeping on the major league roster, I think they're going to have to send him back down to A and let him stay as a starter there because one guy gets hurt and there's nobody else for the Mets that can possibly – they don't have any have any more starters.
0: Yeah. It's a shame because it just seems like the Mets – whoever's on the Mets loves to get injured. I mean, um, I know Fernando Martinez got hurt again, so it just seems that the guys at the Mets are, are so highly touted. I remember going back to the 90s with guys like Alex Ochoa, And Alex Escobar, and every highly touted, you know, Jason Isringhausen, who's on the team now, every guy who the Mets said was going to be good has really not panned out in recent years, except for, you know, the only guys that I can think of who've panned out in the past 10, 15 years, really, are guys like Edgardo Alfonso, uh, Reyes Wright, and of course now Ike Davis. But um, speaking of Jose Reyes, I was thinking about this today, you know, as I was listening to Boomer and Carton in the morning on the way to work. I, I really think that. If if the, things don't turn around and this is this is going to tie into my question, you know, if, if things don't turn around for the Mets in the year and they're not in the wild card hunt, they're going to get rid of Reyes most likely. And I really would hate to see him in a Yankee uniform. I'd hate to see him in a Philly uniform. I honestly would hate to see him in any uniform that doesn't have the you know Mets across the chest. But um, it's a twofold question: A, do you think the Mets are going to get rid of him if they're not in the playoffs? And B, if they are in the wild card hunt, do you think the Mets are going to add any be able to add any significant talent?
2: Uh I'll take this I'll do the second question first cuz it's easier. Unless there's a sale that somehow is approved of minority ownership that's in the works soon, I don't see how the Mets financially would be able to really take on more payroll right now this season. From everything I get the sense of the financial situation is dire enough that they can't be taking on more payroll this season. I, and as a matter of fact, you know, at the next round of baseball owners' meetings and things, that they're going to be having a meeting coming up sometime in May. I think it was May 21st, whatever it is. You have to look that up. But I believe it, it wouldn't surprise me if we hear about, uh-oh, Giants just hit a home run.
0: Nice. Oh.
2: Yeah, so Aubrey hits a solo home run, Giants winning 7-6.
0: I told um, you, they'd lose with you on the intensity. phone. I, I told you.
2: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, so to answer your question, I think financially I would expect that – it wouldn't shock me if you hear about that uh, a couple of potential owner candidates that have been vetted by through the owners and that there's real serious conversations going on for a, a stake in the Mets, an ownership stake in the Mets that's almost 50% of the team. wouldn't surprise me at all if that happens. But I don't think that's going to happen quickly enough for them to take on payroll this season. So I don't think they'll be able to take on payroll at the deadline. As for your first question, as painful as it will be for most Met fans, who some Met fans, there are certainly some Met fans who, for whatever reason, a variety of reasons, don't really love or appreciate Jose Reyes. But I think the majority of Met fans acknowledge that when he's healthy. I'm not going to say he's the best player in baseball. That's certainly not the case. But I do think he's I think he's the most exciting player in baseball. <laughs> when he's healthy, I would it's agree. just a lot of fun to watch Jose Reyes play baseball. And I do think that's going to be a really sad thing when it happens. But if you're Sandy Alderson, I think you have almost no choice. Is if this team is, yeah, I don't know, call it eight games out of a wild card spot, and we find ourselves pretty close to the trade deadline. The sensible, smart thing to do is to trade Reyes having a good season and get back a couple draft picks and some value. I think you almost have to do it.
1: Right. Now, Lori, uh, looking on the other side, the other New York team, the Yankees, uh, like you were mentioning, like they, they would go after somebody like a because, you know, with Hughes, who knows what kind of injury and how long he'll be out. Do you think – that they could go after anyone else? I mean, is there any other names that you've heard that the Yankees are targeting besides Liriano?
2: Uh, Even the Liriano name was from spring training that I think we heard that name being tossed about. Look, you know, whether that's certainly, of course, if King Felix Hernandez is made available by the Mariners, you know the Yankees would be very interested in in him and would be willing to part with top talent for him. I, I think that from what we saw last year, think about it. Last year, it was Danny Heron, Roy Oswald, Cliff Lee, all changed teams. All top you know, top of the rotation type of starters changed teams in season last year. So we don't know who it's going to be this year, but we do know that there are going to be some teams that are going to decide that they're not contending and are in rebuilding mode and want multiple prospects to help their team and we you know, you're going to see somebody with moving starters for prospects. Uh, one team. I'm not saying this will definitely happen, but I think a guy who could be attractive, but it would require a, a good package from the Yankees. Uh, Mets are playing them right now, which is the San Francisco Giants. The Giants have great pitching and are so incredibly offensively challenged. It's pathetic. And so, in terms of building up some of the depth of their minor league system. I could see a situation potentially if they're you know feeling like they're a little bit out of it at the at the deadline uh they have a young pitcher Sanchez, Jonathan Sanchez. I could see them
0: yeah.
2: trading a Sanchez to the Yankees and the Yankees having to give back not only a pitching prospect but some good young hitting talent. I could see something like that. Who knows? But, yeah. yeah, I think the Yankees will make a move by the trade deadline and get a another very good pitcher to slot in behind C.C. C. Sabathia for a second half in a playoff run.
1: Gotcha. And it's, it's way early. It's only the first week in May. Uh, baseball season is such a long season. But, you know, you see, like, the teams like the Yankees out in first place. The Red Sox are off to a slow start, but I think they'll bounce back, and the Phillies are in first place. Um, what was your prediction for a World Series this year?
2: I actually did take the Yankees coming out of the American League, but my, my National League prediction is not exactly looking like genius right about now. Uh, I I actually did. I, I went with the Atlanta Braves. I thought the Phillies would oh, be the wild card. I thought the Braves would win the division. I like Colorado an awful lot. I thought they'd win their division. Ultimately, though, I had, I had picked the Braves, and so I'm looking stupid on that right about now. What are you going to do?
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, I picked the Mets to win it all, so I don't, I don't, what can I say? But um, actually, I thought that the Red Sox and the Phillies were going to end up going to the World Series. And, you know, we'll see where that happens. Boston, like like Joe said, they're bouncing back from a horrific start. I mean, they're doing better than the Mets. After starting out 0 7, they're doing better than the Mets. So let's just, you know, throw that out there. But, uh, you know, for our final question, Laura, and of course, we, we really appreciate you coming on the show with us this evening. Um, we talked about this in the middle as we went from uh, the NBA to the baseball. <laughs> Do you remember where you were on 9-11 when you found out about the whole, uh, you know, the the Twin Towers coming down and everything like that? I mean, you know, it's such a big topic. And I, I find it kind of interesting that the Mets were the first team to play after that, you know, in New York. And then when the news of Osama Bin Laden being, you know, mm-hmm. fin- the, everything came out, the Mets were also playing. Uh, and Bobby Valentine, who was the Mets coach at the time, uh, was, was announcing the game and everything. I just find it kind of interesting and, you know, in, in a weird way that – you know, the Mets were involved in some way, shape, or form, but do you remember where you were when all that went down?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I think if you were living in New York that day, you certainly do remember. I think for everybody, you remember where you were. So for me, I was working in New York uh, in the 20s and in an office, and I went to work like, you know, everybody else, and had heard while I was on the subway somebody made a comment about that, a plane had crashed into the tw- one of the twin towers and but at that point we thought it was an accident and i got out of the subway and went up to my office and at that point we heard the other building got the second building got hit and then just people went into the streets and where i was kind of by the flat iron building there you could look down downtown and see the twin towers with what just looked like dark you know dark squares uh, cut, you know, uh, dark squares on them on each building. You could see these sort of smoking dark squares on them, and and then the one lasting thing that sticks out for me was I was with somebody else. I was guy work- was working with at the time, and we walked another block over towards Sixth Avenue. And by the time we got to six, uh, one of the buildings had just gone down. And for a while, standing there and just seeing one tower up, not two, was just the weirdest sight I ever saw. Is they were yeah. supposed to be two there, and for a while you're standing there just looking at one. And
0: yeah, yeah it, you so know, so I remember.
2: Obviously,
0: an awful day. Yeah, definitely, it, it obviously, was, not you know, almost ten years to the day of everything going on with uh, Bin Laden, and now him, you know, being killed by the United States. I remember, I remember being in college at the time. I think I was a junior, and uh, you know, going. Normally I would never, and I'll get into this a little bit later. But normally I never watch the news. Now, as in, you know, close to 30, I definitely watch the news on a regular basis to see what's going on. But at the time, you know, I was I'm, I'm watching Saturday morning cartoons. But that specific morning, I turned it on and I saw I was I was listening to I'mis on the way to work, who was with the fan at the time, and put it on CNN. And I remember watching it, and it was just so surreal driving to school, you know, 20 minutes away, and then everything going down in the middle of the day, but. You know, it was a, it was such a sad, horrific day, especially being here in New York. But now that things have, uh, and, and it's, it's not over; it's never over. But now that there's been a tiny bit of a resolution to that, and you know, almost on the 10 year anniversary, um, it's just interesting. Like I said, the parallel with the Mets and everything, and how how much our country has changed in the last 10 years. But, you know, Lori, we we really appreciate you coming on the show. Hopefully, uh, you know, we can have you on at some point in the future. And you know, as Joe would say, hopefully you, you enjoy yourself because. We definitely did. So we, we thank you for uh, you know spending some time with us when you could have been watching the Mets and screaming and probably cursing at the television as they you know about to lose the game. But uh, <laughs> we do you know thank you again for coming on, Lori.
2: No problem, guys. Happy to do it. Take care and have a good night. Right,
0: you, you too. too. Take you. care. Bye, bye, folks. That was the, that was the one and only Lori Rubinson joining us. And it's interesting, Joe. I forgot to mention this to Lori while she was on with us, but uh, she was the first. WFAN host that I ever got Onto the air with I'd called Steve Summers, I'd been on hold And then all of a sudden, the show's over But with Lori, I got through to her at a Mets game In early April, a couple of years ago Coming back from Philadelphia And I got to talk to her for a bit And I remember being so excited about that And you know, here we are, just a couple of years later Having her on our show
1: Doing it like
0: it needs to be done, sir
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely amazing how uh, time flies And how you've come a long way, DJ You definitely have
0: Definitely, definitely, positively, definitely. JB, okay. would you like to uh, introduce the next segment, sir?
1: Yes, sir. It is now 1037. It's time for the sports update and Todd's Take, brought to you by Rocco's Inner City Games. Rocco's Intercity City Games, where your gaming needs are our specialty. We have new and used games at competitive prices, and we will also repair all video game systems. Come to Rocco's for all your gaming needs. Call us at 973 973- or visit us at 69 Garden Street in Passaic, New Jersey. When you come or call, please mention Pure Gold. Without further ado, Todd, how are you, sir? I'm great.
3: How are you guys doing tonight? Good, sir. Very good. So, let's get right into it. In the NBA playoffs, the Heat beat the Celtics 102-91 and now lead the series 2-0. And the Thunder are leading the Grizzlies with about seven minutes to play in the second quarter. And the NHL playoffs, the Lightning, they also beat the Capitals, and they have a three-game lead in their series as well. Canucks and Predators are tied at one-one in the second period. And in Major League Baseball, the Rays top the Jays three-to-two. The Mets and the Giants—it's now seven-to-six. We are into extra innings, tenth inning with Taylor Buchholz on the mound, who has already given up a home run. Fantastic. The Yankees beat the Yankees four to two. The Phillies top the Nationals four to one. The Sox beat the Angels seven to three. Strohs over the Reds ten to four. Twins over the White Sox one to nothing. Marlins and the Cardinals are tied at four at the top of the seventh. Orioles and the Royals are tied at five at the top of the eighth. Rockies over the Dbacks and one nothing in the top of the third. The Pirates lead the Padres two to nothing in the bottom of the first. The Indians and the A's are scoreless through one, and the Cubs and Dodgers are also scoreless through one. Brewers and
1: Braves are in rain JB. Thank you, TJ. Now, folks, as you know, last week was the 2011 NFL Draft, and we had Todd on for, you know, the first night of the draft, and we got some updates. But, Todd, now that the draft is over, we were just wondering if you could just break down the draft TJ style Let us know the winners, the losers, and then let's talk about the local teams afterwards.
3: All right, well, the definite loser in the draft was the Carolina Panthers. Much to the chagrin of my son, they did end up taking Cam Newton, which we both agree. Now you talk to you listen to the pundits around the league, you talk to people, it's a toss up as to whether or not Cam Newton is gonna be the real deal. I personally think it was a bad it was a bad pick. Not I have nothing against the kid. The kid's a good talent. I mean he's He's an option quarterback coming into a league that doesn't run that kind of offense, but that's not my problem with him. My problem with that pick is it didn't matter who was going to be a quarterback. They can't protect him. They needed to to, uh, take a left tackle. They needed to shore up that offensive line, and they just didn't do it. So, to me, the Panthers are the big losers in the draft. For for the winners, um, I thought the Cleveland Browns did a phenomenal job taking the number six pick and turning that into five overall picks. I thought that that was a phenomenal job. Um, I thought the Seahawks did terrible. And uh, Pete Carroll, you know, he's going to get everything he deserves this year. That's for sure. Them making the playoffs was a fluke. And we all know that a 7-9 and team coming out of the NFC West going to the playoffs and having a home playoff game was just insanely wrong. I mean, you win your division, you get to go to the playoffs. I understand that. If everybody else in your division stinks more than you, then, well, you deserve to go. Hmm. Uh, who else? Right. The, uh, I thought Tampa Bay came out of the, uh, the draft smelling like a rose. They did a phenomenal job. They are definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with for a long time out of that league. It being that they had uh, a sure quarterback already in Josh Freeman, you know, I mean, they were putting in just components. You know, I mean, They literally were we're doing the Bill Belichick moves and just drafting for depth. And I thought they did a phenomenal job at that. As far as uh, some of the local teams, you know, I'd like to talk about the uh, the Giants, too. I thought the Giants did a really interesting job. I don't want to say bad because, you know, overall, I mean, I would give them a B-plus on their draft. That's because, I mean, what was the Giants' biggest issue last year, in my opinion, was their defense. Their defense needed some real, real help. And to get Prince uh, Amukamara, especially at that spot where they picked him, not only was it a great pick, but it was also a value pick. I mean, they got this kid for a song, basically, and he's going to be one of the premier corners in the league. I mean, I I heard it said on NFL Network during the draft by Mike Mayock, he said that – this kid is probably going to be 90% of what Darrell Revis is. And if you're 90% of what Darrell Reeves is, you're pretty damn good. And I'd yeah. have to agree. Uh, I thought their pick at defensive tackle was good. I thought their linebacker picks were good. I think the Giants did a really good job. Um, the running back pick I'm not so sure about, but I, I suppose you want to have somebody in the stable just in case Brandon Jacobs starts shoots up, shooting off his mouth again. Because God I, knows they're not going to put up with him. Uh-huh. Um, the Jets. You know, I don't want to say that they did a bad job either. I was a little disappointed. Although, when you look at the picks that they made, we all—I think most people would agree—that they really needed to address the outside linebacker and get themselves a pass rusher. <laughs> I think that that's that's typical football analyst guy stuff. Everybody knew that. The two picks that they took at defensive tackle back to back—they were good picks. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the the, the one kid um, – what the hell is his name? I forgot his name already. Uh, Muhammad Wilkinson. That kid, he's a big boy. I mean, 6'4", 3'15", <laughs> that guy's taking up some space, no doubt about it. And the other right. kid, Kendrick Ellis, you know, I mean, the kid's got some, some real range. You know what I mean? He's got great feet, big wingspan. He's what you want in a defensive tackle. And playing in that kind of 3-4, the scheme that Rex plays – to have depth at defensive tackle is definitely key, because you know, I mean, when you think about the way they were rotating in like DeVito and, and such, it, it worked, but they definitely got a little gassed against the teams that ran the ball well. So I thought that those were good picks. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that they took uh, Mark Sanchez's childhood best friend, at <laughs> <a> wide receiver, <coughs> I thought that was a pretty interesting pick. Um, the Redskins, I thought, you know, they didn't really do much. The, the Dallas Cowboys didn't do much. Philly, I didn't think that Philly did that great of a job either. I was kind of confused with some of their uh, with some of their picks. I mean, it, it, it felt to me like, you know, what they targeted in the league. I mean, they took what they needed with their first three picks, but. I'm just not sold on that team as an offense or a, as a defensive power. I mean, the the team is all Vic. You know what I mean? When, when you talk about the Eagles, they don't talk about what a great defense they have, how they shut down passing, how they're a great running team. They just talk about Vic and his dynamic ability at quarterback. But, uh, you know, chances are Cobb is going to get traded if free agency ever happens. And if Vic goes down, what happens? You know, yes. well, who are you going to? My. They're a mess. The team is a mess. The whole offense is predicated on one guy, and you can't run a football team like that. We know that. So I think that the NFC East is going to be run by the Giants this year. You know, of of course, you know, I uh, reserve uh, the right to change my mind at any given time once free agency happens. But right. based on where the teams are at and the draft moves that they made, I would have to say that the Giants are the only team in that division who did anything worthwhile. The Dolphins, uh Dolphins are a mess. Dolphins are just a mess. They're a mess. They they did not help themselves. I didn't think that their their pick uh was really that good. I mean Miami went after some needs. I mean they got some immediate help in some of their key spots, but you know, they got a guard, they got a running back, they got some pretty good value, but I mean just not a very spectacular draft for them. And it wasn't really a great draft for anybody. I mean, it was a defensive tackle heavy draft. You had, what, 12 quarterbacks this time around? And, you know, with Cam Newton going over overall one, I mean, think about the quarterback heavy drafts of the past. I mean, this one doesn't even compare. It's not even the same category. I mean, when you think of the, the draft classes of Kenny O'Brien and, and Dan Marino and Jim Kelly. I mean, this doesn't come close. Right. This was a really low talent draft. It really was. <clears throat> Outside of, like, non skill position players, as they like to call them.
1: I mean, now, how TJ, much of the draft yeah.
3: did you guys watch? Uh,
1: just the first <laughs> round. Uh, I'll be honest with you, just the first round, TJ. But I have two quick questions for you, though. Um, what did you think of the team that had all those stockpiled picks? You didn't mention anything about the Patriots. They didn't do anything with them.
3: Think about no. what they took. I mean, they, they didn't really do anything with them. They moved around, and they traded down, and they moved <laughs> some stuff here to there and such. But, you know, like I said last week in my rant, I mean, Belichick is touted as this genius for all these, this moving around and such that he does and trading for picks. Okay, he's stockpiling picks, but he's not doing anything with them. So to me, they're right. pointless. If, they, right. if those picks that you're stockpiling and moving around don't result in talent players, you know, I mean starters, they don't, they don't mean anything. Right. So to me, it doesn't mean anything for a team like the Browns to take one pick and turn it into five. That to me was was masterful.
1: Right. Now let that me ask I you another question. Right. Let me ask you as a Jeff fan, Jeff fans a Jeff fan, uh, have the Jets? address their nose tackle situation, or are they waiting for the free agency market? Well, I think this kid, Muhammad Wilkinson, could
3: play the nose. I mean, he's definitely big enough to do it, and, you know, he'll play behind Sione Pua. I mean, Pua's going to be the starter, and Pua did a great job. I mean, stepping in for Chris Jenkins, what, like one snap into the season or something like that? Right. I mean, he did a, he did, a, did a fantastic job filling that spot, so I wouldn't even call it a gap fill, that's his job to lose. Right. And, I mean, they took the kid at the th- with the 30th pick overall, so it's not like he was a h- really high draft pick. You know, what I mean, they're not going to be paying him a tremendous amount of money. It'll be right. first-round money, but it, it'll be first-round defensive tackle money late round. Right. And
1: l- let me ask you one last so, question. What do you think about sure. the draft in terms of um, – in terms of the Saints drafting Mark Ingram, do you think that the Saints now do not re-sign Reggie Bush for $12 million and somehow he ends up on the New England Patriots? No, I don't think he will go to the New England Patriots because he's not going to get what he wants.
3: Reggie Bush is a moneymaker. He's not a running back. He's a moneymaker. He wants to make money. He doesn't want to play football. That's obvious. You know what I mean? If you've if you looked at him and watched him play over the years, he <laughs> – he has no heart. The kid's got no heart. I don't care how many deals he signs, how many commercials he does, or how much he talks to the uh, to the media about how much he loves the game. You can see it in his play that he doesn't, and he's not going to go to the Pats. He won't end up on the Pats. He'll probably end up okay. on, like, the Cowboys or some crap. All right, so uh, do you also have a take tonight? I do have a take. And take it away. running <laughs> back. And uh, in keeping with our theme tonight of uh, 9/11 and and football, did you guys hear or read the uh, the tweeted comments from Rashad Mendenhall?
1: I heard it on Boomer and Carton. So So I'm
3: glad. I'm I'm glad glad you mentioned that. (laughs)
1: Unbelievable.
3: So this 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 idiot Rashad Mendenhall, the running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he recently tweeted, uh, "What kind of person? Quote. What kind of person celebrates death? Unquote. Now." That section of it by itself, I think, is pretty innocuous, and it's probably something that I would even agree with. And uh, I even tweeted some similar sentiments Sunday night after hearing reports from Fox News that uh, Osama bin Laden, the self-proclaimed mastermind of the 9-11 attacks, and head honcho of the terrorist organization al-Qaeda had been killed. So let me just take a moment here to recognize the jubilant celebration shown on TV Where I can understand it still doesn't make it right to be happy about a murder regardless of who the victim is just as distasteful. And it doesn't make you any better than the perpetrator. Mendenhall then went on to say, It's amazing how people can hate a man they they have never even heard speak, unquote. Now let, let me tell you something, Rashad. I've never heard God speak either. But I'm pretty sure I have a good idea of what he's all about and what he stood for. Mendenhall also said that we've only heard one side, and he also tweeted about the 9-11 attacks, that we'll never know what really happened. I just have a hard time believing a plane could take a skyscraper down demolition style, unquote. And you base that opinion on what exactly, Rashad? Do you have, like, a doctorate in structural engineering or something Did you even graduate from Illinois? Another idiot truther. Do you understand how stupid you've made yourself sound and how uneducated? I strongly suggest to you, Rashad, that you make a public, no, a heartfelt, sincere apology to the entire American populace for being an uninformed, insensitive, uneducated boob. And do it quick. Don't forget who it is that you work for and that your boss, an owner for that intent and purpose, works for the Obama administration dummy, and if he loses his job because of your idiotic, uneducated opinion, you can bet that your job and all the millionaire perks that go
1: along with it will be taken. I'm Todd Johnstone. J.B. Todd, well put. Thank you for that great analysis on the NFL draft. Love the take, and I'm glad you mentioned Mendenhall. That was a nugget of mine, but I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, and you're right, if he doesn't apologize, I have a feeling that he's going to get, um, you know, unfortunately quite a number of death threats to him and his family, so he's got to watch what he's saying. Now he's got to get this public apology out there as soon as possible. Moron. The a moron.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. This is the right, same
3: sir. guy who agreed with the comments that were made by um, Adrian Peterson that NFL owners are like slave owners.
1: This guy should be out of the league. He's an uneducated boob. All right, sir. Thank you again so much, and we'll talk to you Thursday, sir. Good night, guys. Good night, DG. You awake?
0: Yeah, I'm still here.
1: <laughs> See, this is this is this is classic DG right here. Doesn't care about what Rashard Mendelhall had to say, and didn't like to take it all.
0: Now, classic DG is something else. But moving on, uh, folks, that interview about 30 minutes ago, after that take, uh, you know, after we finished all that, was brought to you by Executive Business Machines. And unfortunately, I uh, I was so caught up in the moment that I forgot to, uh, you know, to read the the uh, the ad earlier. But folks, as always, Executive Business Machines. you copy a copier, printer, fax machine, a computer, a typewriter, anything and needs repair. if you do, call EBM at 201-797-9400. They're located in Elmwood Park, New Jersey. Folks, EBM is a family-owned and operated business for over 50 years, where they specialize in service, sales, and supplies on all office equipment. Once again, call Executive Business Machines at 201-797-9400. And if you mention Pure Gold, you get 20% off your service order. Sir?
1: Thank you, sir. Now we are running we're over on time, but it's a good thing because I don't have much to talk about. We were gonna talk about the Celtics and uh DG, on my take on the Celtics the last the first two games, uh yes, you know, the team has looked old and slow. The Miami Heat have, you know, looked young and ready to take the Celtics. I'm not sold that the series is over yet, being down 2-0, heading to Boston. I think that Boston can protect their home court and I still think that Although it sounds almost improbable, I still think that the Celtics will take the series. Um, I just don't think that the Heat know how to close out. I think that, like Lori was saying in her interview earlier this, tonight, she's saying that if you have this, the, the Heat within three or four points late in the fourth quarter, you yeah. know they, they basically are chokers. So, DG, I think that the series is not over. Being down two zero does suck because I did want one on the road and split the you know the the road games and then come home and win the two home games, but. The series is going to go the distance now. It has to go the distance for me. Uh, at least six games for the Celtics to win the series, and uh, hopefully the Celtics pull it out because, you know, both you and I just cannot stand the heat.
0: I agree with that, sir. Um, any other basketball notes before I move on from that crap?
1: Nope. Moving on. Yeah, go on to the Mets, another crap fest.
0: Um, no, I'm not going to talk about the Mets. I want to talk about something else. I was all. have all these notes on RAW and Extreme Rules, and I was going to get into this whole big thing. And you know what? I think I will, and I'm going to hit you with the big news afterwards. The big news coming out of Sunday's Extreme Rules was that Christian finally won the World Heavyweight Championship in what was described as a brutal ladder match against Alberto Del Rio. He was very emotional afterwards. Uh, and, you know, Edge was there. They hugged and everything. I think they kissed. I'm not sure. But you know, for, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. For as much as people rag on wrestling for how fake it is, the truth of the matter is that when you when these guys make it to the top of the food chain, it's huge for them, and it means the world to be trusted to help carry the company. You know, hoping he gets a lengthy title reign and his used property. Unlike the Miz, who lost his title Sunday at Extreme Rules and really did nothing as a champion. You know, the the truth is that Christian is long overdue for a title reign. He's one of my favorites. Unfortunately, it took Edge being injured in his career bringing over for Christian to get a chance at the world title. And, JB, um, you know, before I continue, do you know what the big news coming in a SmackDown is, sir?
1: Um, No, but I'm sure you're about to hit me with it, so go ahead.
0: Yes, Christian lost the World Heavyweight Championship to Randy Orton to end the show, and it's going to air on Friday. What do you think about that?
1: <laughs> Are you joking?
0: No, I'm not joking. In the middle of that 45-minute rant by Todd, about the draft and all that other Rashard Mendenhall nonsense. I was looking up some spoilers, and Randy Orton is the new world heavyweight champion.
1: Did he go heel or something?
0: No. Teddy Long made a match, and he was asked if it was unfair to have Christian defended so soon. He said no, and Christian lost. So technically his title reign only lasted 48 hours, but since it airs on Friday, I guess it lasted four days.
1: How does that make any sense to you, Gee, I mean, this this is a travesty.
0: It's an absolute disgrace. You know, I, I read online that um, Christian was so emotional that he hugged Vince, thanked him. You know, he was crying afterwards. You know, for real, tears of joy that he was so ecstatic to finally be the World Heavyweight Champion. And Vince finally gives him the ball, yet what does he do? He loo- Talk about transitional champion. He didn't even hold the title for a week. There's a pay-per-view in at that point it'll be 2 weeks away from the pay-per-view because the next the next one is uh, very quick uh over the limit or whatever it's called Christian is not even going to defend the world heavyweight championship at the pay-per-view. I don't even know how that happens. How that's possible. How Vince thinks this is a good idea, but this is one of the things that absolutely makes me want to vomit and infuriates me to no end with the way the WWE books this crap. The way that Vince decides these things is absolutely asinine. To make Cena the champion again is ridiculous. To make Orton the champion is even worse because out of the two of them, Orton is, is definitely the worst. You know, I, I was looking at uh, eWrestling news where I got the uh, where I got the comment from the, the SmackDown results because I'm like, oh, let me check this out. I actually want to read somebody's quote. I'm sure he won't mind because uh, he probably has no clue what's going on. But um, let me see if I could find this dude. And see what it was that he said. All right, here we go. Really? You're going to you give, his name is Jose, Jose Fernandez, so we're giving Jose Fernandez a shout-out from eWrestlingNews.com. You give one of your truly gifted athletes a 48-hour title reign, only for him to drop the beep title to one of the most overrated, boring, blatant, blandest, beep, douchebaggiest, egotistical, self-centered, and baby-old beep you could ever classify as a wrestler. Really, WWE? Why the beep do you keep coming to this? Why do you keep doing this to us? You had no reason to strip him of the title, and you did it in the blink of a beep eye. He didn't even have a chance to prove himself as a capable champion. Do you see, and I know I see it, but Joe didn't see it. Do you see how emotional Christian got Extreme Rules? Did you? You completely disregarded that and gave it to a stupid, and if stupid, bodybuilder who does nothing but 10-minute headlocks and slam the floor Before he delivers a completely forced, retarded finishing move that doesn't even, beep, hurt. Uh, He gets a little personal and talks about hoping that Cena and and, uh, Orton die in a car accident. But, I mean, this guy, other than the dying part, pretty much sums it up that having, uh, you know, Cena as a champ on Raw and Orton as a champ on SmackDown, it just absolutely... It makes you want to stop watching wrestling altogether. You know... One of the things I didn't mention in the beginning of our show was that we're now going to start doing some blogs and some things of that nature. Get, let, let the fans get our perspective. Aside from just hearing us on, on the on the air, normally every post on our site has been related to a show. But today, I wrote a blog about, uh, you know, finally the Rock has come back to the WWE. And you can check it out on com And Joe and I are going to be, you know, writing these articles from now on. Um, well, we'll see if Joe holds up his end of the bargain. But the point is that... I was getting ready to talk about The Rock and the WWE and how great all that is, and then they do this. They take a big old dump all over everything that they did on Sunday. That should have been Christian's moment. That should have ended the pay-per-view. But instead, they screw him over, a two-day title reign. What an absolute joke, and I cannot wait. And I hope that Busted Open talks about this tomorrow, where I can hear Doug and Dave talk about this. I hope because I want to hear somebody rip these guys apart. I want to hear Justin and Josh on Chair Shot Reality rip the WWE apart. I want to hear all wrestling fans all over the planet, even Randy Orton fans, rip the WWE apart. Because this was a joke. It was a disgrace. I loathe the WWE. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be blogging about this tomorrow because they make me want to Vomit. I can't believe that he took one of the hard, most hardworking guys, a guy who should have already been a multiple-time champion, who's almost as good as Edge. I don't, honestly don't see the difference. And they take Christian, they give him the title, he goes nuts, he's crying, he's emotional, probably went home, you know, was ecstatic with his wife and kids and everything. And then two days later, sorry, Christian, you suck. Let's give the title to Orton so he can be a 45-time champion. And then to top it off, we have seen on Raw, WWE champ, World Heavyweight Champ for the 10th time, that makes me want to puke,
1: sir. (laughs) I'm in utter disbelief as you were ranting on about this whole thing. I just, you know, the whole fact that, like, you know, Christian was emotional. He thanked Vince McMahon on Sunday night. And then just to lose that title 48 hours later makes no sense. He was even on Raw last night. I think the entire Raw roster was there last night. Because of Rock's birthday, uh, and/or because of the whole, you know, getting together uh, because uh, Osama had been killed. But they showed a little segment between you saw that right between Rock and Christian. He was congratulating him and wishing him much success. And then just to lose the title the next night, what a joke! And I think DG, I think it's only best to service our fans, our audience, to get. uh, You know, I think Shannon is a Randy Orton fan. I want to get her take on this. I think we need to try to get either Justin or Pyro on because I just think, uh, I want to hear other people's take on this on our show, DG. I think it's important to address it, and I just, I, I'm still shocked shock that Christian has lost the title 48 hours later.
0: I actually cannot. I, I'm I'm utterly in disbelief here. I'm going to see if we can get Pyro on the show Thursday, even if it's just for a few minutes, um, just to get his take on it. Normally, Pyro does not talk about um, spoilers and stuff, but you know what? He's not writing for online outflow right now, so I don't think any of that really matters. The truth is that it's a disgrace, sir. It's an absolute disgrace what they've done. I don't understand why Vince thought this was a good idea. There is no way, and I tell you no way that I would have ever thought that Christian would have gotten a two-day title reign. I mean, Kane got a one-day title reign and had to wait all these years. Christian is, is in his late 30s, you know, has been nothing but a trooper for the WWE. He went to TNA, you know, whatever, but he came back, has been money, has been gold. Like you said, they had the moment yesterday where – um you know, the rock and the championship and everything, and then to have him lose it the next night, it's unbelievable. And as a matter of fact, in Russell's on as well, everybody who's written this has said, um, you can't believe it, they lost. That's right, you read it right, Randy Orton lost. Uh, Randy Orton is the, look, right here in WrestleZone. zone. Yes, you read that right, Randy Orton is the new world heavyweight champion. I don't understand, sir, who writes this crap? Somebody, I would love to get Vince McMahon on the phone to ask him what that hell made you make this horrible decision? I mean, the fans are not going to be happy. Now, I'm not saying Christian is more popular than Randy Orton because obviously he's not. For whatever reason, Randy Orton is is popular. The beer-fruiting man-turd is popular with the fans. I still don't understand why. But my goodness gracious, you know, my cat, who's right next to me right now, he's cutting a promo, has more talent in his tail than Randy Orton has in his entire body, and for Vince to do this to Christian, if I was Christian, I would quit. I would walk out. I'd say, you know, I'm going back to TNA. They don't treat me like crap. You suck, Vince. I hate you. And you know what? Here's a steel chair shot right to the head. It just it's, I can't EG? even. I wanna I wanna punch you in the face, man.
1: You want punch me in the face?
0: Yeah, because then who else am I gonna punch? I'm not gonna punch Vince. I, I need I need to hit something and someone.
1: You hit your cat. Make sure you do that. But let me, no, ask you this. let me ask you this. I mean, we all know about big backstage politics, right? Let me ask you this. Tell me if this doesn't sound like a, a something that happened um, behind the scenes. Tell me Randy Orton did not go to Vince Man maybe a week or two ago before the draft was going to happen. He finds out he's being drafted to SmackDown. Randy Orton being the whiny little biatch that he is, says Vince, I will take smackdown and I will run smackdown if you make me the world heavyweight champion.
0: Unfortunately, I wouldn't be surprised. And what what the guy Jose that I was reading for, his whole thing, he really his issue with Randy is him as a person and everything that he's heard and everything that he's read and all the negative things you hear about him with Kofi Kingston and the things that he's done and berating people, Oren is just a horrible, a horrible human being. And you know what? I I hope that he just goes away for a long time. Joe, I honestly think that something like that probably happened. And if not that, what probably uh, the only other possibility, I think, was that Oren was was and Vince was and was like, Vince, you can't have this guy as a World Heavyweight champ. He's not money. He's not going to draw. Nobody's going to pay to see him. I mean, who who makes the champion defend the title? Yeah, okay, Cena did. But in a triple threat versus a brutal ladder match, who made, unless Christian got injured, at the pay-per-view, and it's going to be out for like six months, why would you have him lose the title so quickly? It doesn't make sense. It's it just so, all it does is frustrate me, sir, and, and that's the only logical that – I'll accept that. If that's the case, fine, give it to Orton. But if any other circumstance, Christian losing the title like this, it's just unacceptable, Joe. It is absolutely a complete and utter disgrace. And we were going to talk about so many other things tonight, but
1: hearing that – You make us all sick, Vince. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I could say is that you could almost understand having a a title match with John Cena because Miz was the champion and he won his rematch. You cannot explain logically how on SmackDown Randy Orton gets a title shot two nights after a pay per view is over. So the fact that, you know, Randy Orton got a title shot to me just screams of politics. And some backstaging BS that happened between Randy Orton and Vince McMahon or even Triple H got involved. And somehow they think that this guy is like, you know, the next coming of like Stone Cold Steve Austin because he, you know, the less he says the better. And I just, I can't believe Randy Orton now is the World Heavyweight Champion. And again, we find out that Christian got hurt and nobody's talking about it. So I doubt that happened. So this is going to just infuriate us a lot more to hate the WWE even more.
0: I agree. You know, from what I read here, and I hate spoilers just for this reason alone, but I read here, the great colleague Mark Henry, and Randy Orton all came out wanting to face Christian. So, Teddy Long let the crowd decide, based on the crowd reaction, who would face him. Orton won, obviously, and then he wins the title that night. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a five-minute squash match or a two-minute squash match and Christian got no offense in. I mean, so many other things we could have talked about tonight. I, I, I just can't believe... I honestly cannot believe this, sir. Everything else can, can you know, goes out the window. All the other stuff that I was gonna say, this is like the only topic uh, left, really. I was gonna talk about Karma and her debut, and I guess we can get into that briefly. But man, what an absolute joke the WWE is. They make me wanna quit watching wrestling forever. I literally am furious right now. I can't believe that they screwed the fans this way and they screwed Christian. You know, it, it just goes to show you that Vince doesn't give a damn about Christian. He doesn't give a damn about anything. He just gives a damn about his backstage politics and the guys who kiss his butt. You know, Joe, you know, I, I, I'm utterly shocked. Yeah, you
1: know. yeah. No, I understand. I understand. And this is definitely totally shocking to me, too, as you, you broke that news because I had no idea. And I think that, you know, we can spend a lot more time on Thursday night just breaking down the rest of Raw. Especially, you know, talk about Rock's birthday and how great, you know, it was great seeing the Rock back on Raw for a whole show. Um, you know, we don't have to get into that now. We're already, like, ten minutes into the overrun. I mean, do you want to just wait until Thursday for this?
0: You know, if, it's up to you, sir. If you want to get into it, you can get into it. I'm totally out of control right now. I just don't understand what the no, hell happened.
1: I, yeah, I mean, I just want to bring it back to reality and get back to where we started the show with. You know the singing of uh... you know God Bless USA that was by Lee Greenwood, and just you know get your final thoughts and we should just close out the show. Just uh... let me know what you thought about the whole thing that happened Sunday night back into reality, not wrestling. Just let me know what you thought and going forward, what do you think?
0: Um, I'd like to get your take, sir. To be quite honest with you, so how about you start out with, with that first?
1: I'll be honest. you know I went to sleep at around ten o'clock on Sunday night. And, um, like I was telling you, I think uh in our production meeting, I just want to see who won the hockey game between the capitals and the the Tampa Bay Lightning, So I go to my phone at six in the morning i 'm half asleep i 'm like, and all of a sudden, I see like twelve different texts from you know twelve different people saying Osama has been been killed, but you know, being half asleep, I read it, and I thought that my texts were saying Obama was killed, so I was like, "Oh my God, they killed the president." And I was like, how did they do this? I was like so astonished. And I, I ran up to my wife and I showed her the text. And I reread it again and it said, oh, Osama's been killed. And I was like, wow, I can't believe they finally got the guy ten years later. Um, and then right away, you know, the, the, the cynical side of me starts thinking, this is just a great opportunity for the, the Obama administration to now say that, you know, we got the our number one terrorist, Osama, as the economy's tanking, gas prices are going up, and, you know, and next year is a re-election year, so I thought it was all kind of coincidental. Maybe it's a conspiracy theory that I'm building in my head, but I thought that it was just a coincidence that you know, with the economy tanking, with Obama, with the re-election next year, I just thought him catching or killing now Osama bin Laden, our number one enemy, was just a, a little bit too much of a coincidence. D G.
0: Well, I don't know. You know, I think the only thing, the only thing to me that that I, the first thing I thought, I mean, it's like Todd said, you can't be, ha- I can't be happy, and I'm sure you're not, you can't be happy um, that somebody died, you know, the, the, you, I'm sorry, I don't care what anybody says, you just can't be thrilled or ecstatic that this man is dead, you know, I mean, you got all right, justice was served, yes, did he deserve it, if anybody deserved it, it was him, absolutely, but I can't be thrilled, and the, what I find interesting or funny is it the people who were celebrating for the most part were people who were like ten years old or, or eight years old when, when that happened. You know, I was twenty when nine eleven happened. I remember it like it was yesterday. Like I was telling Lori earlier today, um, you know, I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing, what I was watching. I remember being at Seton Hall University in Spanish class and I remember the a teacher bursting into my class and saying, Twin Towers have fallen, the Twin Towers have fallen you know, school was canceled at that moment. And I remember being in utter disbelief because, yeah, I was I saw CNN and I saw Towers hit. I listened to Imus in the morning, and that's all Imus and his crew were talking about. But then to actually say both Towers are gone, you know, because at the time it was only the one that got hit, I was just in utter disbelief. And obviously that doesn't compare... What we just talked about Christian, that's meaningless when it comes to real-life situations. But, you know, what makes me sad in a sense... Is that this happened during Obama's administration Because this should have happened at all It should have been during George W. Bush's administration Because it would have at least let him go out on a high note And the people would have been a little bit more positive towards him And, I mean, history has a way of changing the way that we feel about presidents But, man, you know, if anybody should have gotten him, it was him You know, it should have been uh, George W. Bush But you know what? I mean, it happened, it is what it is And uh, the truth of the matter is that, I mean, like I said If anybody deserved it You know, it was Osama Bin Laden And we'll see what happens Sir, Um, from here on in I'm trying not to be cynical I think too many people, you know, conspiracy theories And they put him at sea, and did it really happen And is he really dead, and you know I think people go nuts with the conspiracy theories But, you know, again It's an interesting time to be an American And ten years later, almost ten years to the date It's crazy, sir,
1: it's absolutely crazy Yeah, and you were mentioning how Um, You know, you were wondering how people actually, you know, take joy in the fact that he's dead. I think, you know, like, like you said, it's more of the younger generation that was like, you know, not even an adult yet when this all happened 10 years ago. And I just think that the fact that, you know, You know, yeah, he is killed, but also that also brings back all the emotions of 9-11 again. If you lived that day, if you lost a loved one that day, you know, everyone has a story about 9-11. I mean, I could tell you what I was doing. You could tell me what you were doing. And the other fact is that, you know, Osama is now, to me, he's just one of many terrorists out there. And he's probably what, uh, I listened to Fox the other day, and they called him a glorified CEO, which means that, he's probably not the head of the you know terrorist organization anymore. He's probably now splintered it off into uh, a group of other people that are now leaders. So I think that yeah, he's a great figurehead to be caught now, but I think terrorism will go on forever and it'll be hard to like, you know, to end that kind of stuff, but it's good that we captured him as a symbol of, you know, what he did to uh this country 10 years ago. But now I think that, you know, like I said, all the emotions are back. We're also now security is definitely at high alert for the next couple of years, I would say for retaliation, yeah. DG. So this this whole thing is, you know, it's it's good in one little sense. I think one percent it's good that we we finally got the guy. You know, as Obama says, we got him. But now, like, it brings back all the emotions. Like I said, and it also, you know, makes us on high alert for the next couple of years. if not the next ten years. I agree,
0: sir. It's like you said, is this, you know, the cutting off a snake, or is it a bunch of weeds that are going to sprout up? And we're, there's going to be retaliation. For anybody to think that there isn't, you've got to be stupid. I hope that in the long run, though, it does mean that al-Qaeda is ultimately done. And, I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than uh, getting rid of uh, bin Laden. And It's just a crazy world we live in, sir. It's an absolute crazy world where, you know, we can be going nuts about one thing like wrestling, and then really what matters is those people who lay their lives on the line, the people who died in uh, the 9-11 crash, and... You know, plane crashes and the horrible accidents that happened on American soil and, you know, terrorist attack. And, again, for those conspiracy theorists out there, people need to get a life and just, you know what, he's dead and, you know, let's move on from here, sir.
1: Right. And I just wanted to bring it to a close because, um, you know, it happened on Sunday only 48 hours ago that we were learning that Osama has been killed. And then we could spend back on Thursday, on Thursday's show, not even, you know, we we put our closure on this whole Osama bin Laden thing, and we talked about our feelings, and now we can actually go back to, like I said, back to our fantasy world on Thursday, and let's try to get some some wrestling uh, viewers and listen uh, watchers, um, just some of their take on what you broke um, in terms of what we consider big news in the in the wrestling world that Christian is no longer the world heavyweight champion, and it's now Randall K Orton. So, DG. I think it was important that we closed out the show on this note, and then we could just continue more on Thursday.
0: I agree, sir. It's definitely a a good place to close. Would you like to uh, take care of our advertisements, sir?
1: Yes, sir. Tonight's Pure Gold episode was brought to you by Rocco's Inner City Games. Rocco's Inner City Games, where your gaming needs are our specialty. We have new and used games at competitive prices, and we also repair all used video game systems. Come to Rocco's for all your gaming needs. Call us at 973-883-6022 or visit us at 69 Garden Street in Passaic, New Jersey. When you call or come in, please mention Pure Gold. DG? Folks, as we
0: uh, you know, as we bring this show to a close, our interview with Lori Rubinson was brought to you by one of our first sponsors, a special place in our hearts, Executive Business Machines. If you have a copier, or printer, or fax machine, I'm sure Lori does, or a computer, or even a typewriter, Lori probably has one of those. If you need, you need to repair, if you do, please call Executive Business Machines at 201 797 9400, located in Elmwood Park, New Jersey. EBM is a family owned and operated business for over 50 years where they specialize in service, sales, and supplies. Woo! On all office equipment. Once again, call Executive Business Machines at 201-797-9400. And if you mention Pure Gold, you get 20% off of your service order. Jimmy?
1: Thank you, DG. As we close out, I just want to say thanks to Lori Rubinson. And, uh, you know, she was a great interview. I'm glad that, you know, she was able to come on and give us her take on the NBA playoffs, the Major League Baseball. And hopefully, DG, like Evan Roberts, hopefully she will be a return guest on our show.
0: Hopefully she will be, and hopefully, you know, we can get her on again when the Mets are playing, because I have to admit it's pretty funny to have somebody on the air with us. And, we're you know, we're uh, giving Mets updates and yelling and screaming, and I have to admit there, sir, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And, again, hopefully, like you said, Laurie will come back. But for those of you out there listening, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into wrestling. We'll get into some more stuff. We'll talk about karma. We'll talk about a few other things. Karma of the wrestler, not anything else, because I don't believe in that. But aside from that, We'd like to thank everybody for listening in this evening. Again, thanks to Lori Rubinson for joining us for like the 55th time. Got to thank her. And, uh, you know, again, thanks to you, our listening audience out there. Make sure you tune in on Thursday night, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For JB, this is DG of Pure Gold reminding you to always keep it
1: PG. way forth. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. God bless America.